So when I'm trying to identify when something of value has changed from beginning to end, that's when I can conclude if a scene has happened versus a beat level, it's, there's a change in tactic or a change in how a character is approaching something. So really, when you're looking at these five commandments, they can work on any unit of story, but for the scene itself, we're looking for what is that value shift, and there might be multiple within a chapter. Welcome back to Lit Match, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their writing career by learning how to blend business with passion. I'm Abigail Perry, a book coach and certified developmental editor, eager to teach you more about the publishing industry, writing craft, and what makes a great book. In order to write a great story, one that hooks literary agents and readers, writers need to learn how to write a purposeful scene that can move the story forward, develop characters, and set up or satisfy a reader's expectations. In today's episode, we're diving deep into the first chapter of Tracy Dion's best-selling YA fantasy novel, Legendborn. I'm excited to share this episode with you for two reasons. One, because this episode gives a special inside look at a YA fantasy book that I very much enjoyed. And I get to analyze this first chapter with my good friend and book coach extraordinaire, Savannah Gilbo, who you probably have heard of with the first chapter deep dive analysis episodes featuring Harry Potter. And the second reason is because the audio for today's episode is pulled from the last book notes meeting, which is a virtual book club that Savannah and I host every other month. I love hosting these book club meetings with Savannah and our last meeting, which studied Legendborn was our most interactive yet. Plus, it's extra fun to see how a wide variety of readers interact and enjoy popular reads like Legendborn. Now, I'm not going to share the whole meeting's audio today since that wouldn't be fair to the writers who attended that meeting. Also, our meeting was just over two hours long, which is way longer than a normal podcast episode. We cover much more in that meeting than just the first chapter analysis. However, I am going to share the inside look at our first chapter analysis, because I believe this can help you gauge what makes strong first pages and how those first pages can set up big picture expectations for an entire novel. Warning, there are some spoilers in this episode, but I believe understanding these spoilers is crucial to helping writers understand how important plot points are set up in the story's first pages and later paid off in big ways towards the end of the book. Without further ado, here's our first chapter analysis of Tracy Dion's best-selling YA fantasy novel, Legendborn. Okay, so three months later at Eno River State Park, Bree and Alice watch students from UNC jump off a cliff into the water below. They talk about Bree's black hair and Alice's Taiwanese-American hair and humidity. Alice is unhappy about breaking the rules in their first night at early college. They were invited to the cliff jumping party by an older friend, Charlotte, who is also from Benhamville. They talk to Charlotte's boyfriend, Evan, who is eventually killed and replaced by a demon pretending to be a human. So we don't know that in the first chapter, but we figured that out later. Bree thinks about how people react to her mom's death and how her personality split into two parts before her mom's death, the before Bree, and after her mom's death, the after Bree. Bree starts behind when Alice goes off with Charlotte and Evan, and she contemplates cliff jumping, but a guy named Selwyn Kane or Sel appears and warns her not to jump. 
Bree feels electricity and some attraction when Cell looks at her. And then he grabs her wrist, asking if she feels something, which Bree lies and says no. Shouts from the party cause Cell to run off. Bree follows, looking for her friends, and she finds a fight between four football players and sees something shimmering above the combatants. No one else except Cell sees what Bree sees, and this was what turns out to be a demon called Islaus. Bree remembers moments of being haunted by her mom, and Cell makes eye contact and telepathically commands Bree to leave. Perfect. Okay, so we put a poll in the chat for this question. How many scenes do you think are in the first chapter? We're going to answer this question as well. Um, but go ahead and answer that poll. I'll leave it up for a little bit as I explain how we're going to look at the scenes. So if you've been here before, this is familiar. But if you haven't been to a book club meeting yet, we love to use the five commandments to break down a scene and see kind of how and why it works. And these are from both Robert McKee and Sean Coyne. They teach this framework. But basically, it all starts with the character's goal. So what does this person want to do? And then how does the conflict get in the way? So the inciting incident here is that first blip of conflict that gets in the way and can sometimes cause a new scene goal to arise. Then between the inciting incident and the turning point, there are progressive complications or moments of escalating conflict that lead to this turning point where the character is then going to face a choice based on the turning point. So the turning point has happened. Now what? And the crisis is that now what? So am I going to do X or am I going to do Y? And usually the two things they're choosing between, or maybe maybe three, whatever, are either equally good or equally bad, and they both come with stakes. So it needs to be a hard choice. The climax here is the decision that they make or the action they take. And the resolution is how it worked out or what happened. So this little arc of change here is going to tell us what changed through the conflict that the character faces. So this is how we're going to analyze it. And let me just see what we all think here. So the majority, 63% said we think it's two scenes and 38% said one scene. So very cool on that. I'll just put that up for a second if you guys can see. So let's, we're going to just dig in. So we want to start with the character's goal, right? So in scene one, and this is spoiler, I guess, we think it's two scenes and we'll show you why in a second. In scene one, Bree's goal is basically just to join Charlotte and the other kids for a fun night out at the quarry. So there's a party and it's tradition to jump off the cliffs. And also she tells us she can't just sit in her room because that's when she starts thinking about her mom. So she's just looking to have the college experience and go have fun. The inciting incident or that first little blip of conflict that gets in the way is when Evan, who's Charlotte's boyfriend, recognizes Bree as the girl whose mom died. So she's leaving her room to get away from memories of her mom in this place where nobody knows her. And then Charlotte's boyfriend says, hey, my girlfriend talks about you and you're that girl whose mom died. It's conflict for Brie. Then other things happen and we peek at this turning point here where Alice says, hey, I want to leave because people are jumping off cliffs. We're going to get in trouble. I don't want to get expelled, right? So now Brie faces a choice. Should she go back to the dorm room with Alice or should she stay with the other kids and have fun and risk getting into trouble or worse? That's her choice. Both come with consequences. The decision she makes is that she says, I'm going to stay and I will meet up with you later, Alice. As a result, Bree meets and has a strange encounter with Selwyn Kane. And then somewhere in the distance, Alice screams. So what has changed? In the beginning, she was safe, right? Nothing bad or weird was happening. And she has moved closer to the danger side of the spectrum. So she's not in immediate danger, but she's 
getting closer to danger, right? Stop me if you want to chime in, Abigail, but we had a question come in, like, how do we identify where a scene begins and ends and how that cause and effect from scene to scene works? Are you chiming in, Abigail? Oh, I was going to say, well, Man and I both are big advocates of always planning stories and scenes and not chapters. Yeah. Because a chapter, and this is, as you can see, we've identified scene one. So both Savannah and I thought this was two scenes as a first chapter. And how we're identifying where that is, sometimes, and you'll notice in the origin board, sometimes there are scene breaks. And instinctively, the author has, you know, just had a scene and a scene break. But I don't look for a scene break to identify where a scene is personally, because I'm looking for a value shift. So when I'm trying to identify when something of value has changed from beginning to end, that's when I can conclude if a scene has happened versus a beat level, there's a change in tactic or a change in how a character is approaching something. So really, when you're looking at these five commandments, they can work on any unit of story. But for the scene itself, we're looking for what is that value shift? And there might be multiple within a chapter. Is there anything else that you would add, Savannah? Yep. So I think that's a great way to look at it, which you'll see the the value start to shift at the turning point in that crisis moment. So what she's talking about here is we're saying, okay, if she's gone from being totally safe to being in a little bit of danger, this is when it happens. It's when she decides to stay. So Mm -hmm. she could have decided to go home to the dorm and then she would have been never been in this position of danger, right? And so the other thing, because the question was like, how does the cause and effect work, right? And so we can kind of see here in this resolution, Alice screams. So this is, I put this in the resolution and we can talk about maybe why it's not the inciting incident of the next scene. But I like it here because it's part of what kicks her into the next scene. So this scene is done and Alice screams. So now we go into scene two, where her goal is to find Alice and say like, what the heck made my friend scream like that? Are they in danger? What's happening, right? So this resolution prompts this goal. So then with this goal in mind, the inciting incident here is that Brie comes across a group of boys fighting and she sees a flicker of light above their head and it triggers a memory. So we don't know as readers who are brand new to this story, what's going on, right? We're like, is this magic? What, what's happening? But it's it, interesting and it triggers a memory. Conflict escalates from there. And the turning point is when she realizes nobody can see the flickering creature except for Cell. And then he mesmers her and asks her to leave, but it doesn't work 100%. So this is when things start to change, right? Her choice here is she can go find Alice and Charlotte. And she says this in the text and hide my curiosity like I hide my grief. Or she can stay and figure out what's happening and follow that curiosity. It seems like she might be going to follow it, but before she can decide, smoke and flame envelop Cell. So he kind of just bursts into smoke and flame. And as a resolution, Bree sees Cell and Tor take down the creature with magic. And the creature says it's feeding and it says it's not by its gate. So And then Bree runs. So we get some information here about the central plot. And what's changed is that she's gone from being in that slight danger zone to being in more literal danger. So I think what we we wanted to talk about, like, why is Alice screaming not the inciting incident? If you if you thought that or saw that, it's not necessarily wrong. I just uh, it makes sense for my brain when it's part of the resolution and it triggers that goal going into the next scene. Anything you want to add there, Abigail? Well, I'm curious for the people who thought this was one scene. 
what were people thinking was the the crisis for one scene versus two scenes? What was the turning point crisis? Yeah, and you guys can let us know in the chat. I see someone, let me see who's this, Chris saying they moved to a different area, so unity of place. Um, that can be a signal that it's a new scene, but it I don't think it's always, um, it's not always going to mean a new scene when you go to a different place. I like to really look at the goal. So is the goal the same? And are they changing tactic, like Abigail was saying? Or is has the goal changed and now we're in a new scene, whether that's mm -hmm. a new location or not? So let us know if you would like in the chat or come on camera if you want. If you saw something different, if you were on this team one scene, what did you think? And we don't have anyone chiming in yet. So we're going to go ahead. Stephanie says, I wonder if the creature saying this is not my gate is a breadcrumb about Davis opening the gates. It's not the creature's mm -hmm. gate. It's Davis's. Yes, totally. <laughs> Which is very cool, right? In the first chapter. Okay, so why do we think this opening chapter is effective? Feel free to put your um, comments in the chat. Come on camera. But everyone I saw collectively, we were like, we love this scene, right? What did you guys think? Why did this hook us so much? And then also, if you would like to tell us, what do we think the big picture expectations were that this first chapter set up? So we're going to go into that a little bit next. Mm -hmm. Chris says it plunges you right in. No messing around. Stuff goes down the first day of school. Yeah, big deal, right? Amy says it draws us in with action. That's relatable while adding the mysterious element of magic. Yes. Kelly says it raises a question in a great way. So definitely intro to characters and shows action plus interiority yes julia kept me reading because it left me with so many questions that i now needed answers to so that's hallmark of a great chapter right stephanie said the same thing lots of hooks and questions and mysteries arena right into the action then the magic is introduced effectively introduces characters and lots of conflicts make you want to know more, manages to give you enough to be curious about what's coming, but starting off with a bang. Okay, so you guys are all spot on with what we were going to say. Do you want to take this one, Abigail? Yeah. So for scene one, this really does ground us in character and in plot. And I think that's something that Savannah and I, we have oogled and ogled about this <laughs> since we've known each other. Yes. And if you know us, you know that we're obsessed with Harry Potter. And this is one of the things that Harry Potter does really well, because it's always, we've always argued, yes, Harry Potter is an action story, but it doesn't exist without the worldview story. So it's like they have, if without that internal arc, it's not Harry Potter. And I thought, and Savannah thought that Legendborn equally does this. It's excellent at really grounding us in character, the fears, the wounds, what's really troubling her on a human level, free on a human level. And then it throws us into this like high stakes, wicked cool, magical action plot, right? So it's really doing a great job at combining the two, or as I like to say, they marry one another. So they're working together. The central conflict is also set up here. And that's reinforcing again, we have internal and external stakes, and both are extremely high. So we have this demon on campus, and okay, a demon now is on campus, so Obviously, we're in a fantasy-ish type world here. Like, there's something magical to this. We're not in a horror world, right? But it is like this, ma there's magic, there's lights and all these things. And also, we learned that this is really important, and you identified this in the chat, the demon's away from the gate. So there's something with gates, and there's a big mystery there that we're going to have to figure out. 
It also introduces the magic, as we said, of Legendborn. And this is allowing us to see a taste of what's to come for any fantasy lover. We want our magic. So that's always fun to see. But we don't know fully how it works and all that. Plus, we start to see the hierarchy of the order in action. And it's hinted at because we don't know what the order is yet. But you can see that with Tor and Sal and being in charge. It introduces Bree's wounds, as I mentioned, and the manifestation of it in real life. And you, that's before Bree and after Bree. And it shows us that Evan is not around when the partial demon appears, which is a... There are always very subtle hints about Evan, but not huge ones. Yeah. So when you go back and you look for them again, you can find them. But they are there. Yeah. They are set up. But Most of the ones I found where it's like he's just MIA when something's happening which is really easy to miss the first time around. But the other thing I would add to this list too is like it it sets up their relationship with Cell because they each mm -hmm. feel that spark when they first meet and they don't know why or what that means and we don't either. Um, but it makes sense when we learn that Brie is going to be called by Arthur. So you guys pretty much nailed all these, which is great. We did have a question for you guys. Why do we think that the author included a prologue? Because there's so much mixed advice. Like, Prologues are terrible. Prologues are great. Certain readers love them. Certain readers don't. How did you guys feel about the prologue? Did it work? And if so, why do you think it was a good choice or why do you think it was a bad choice? And Chris says she loves prologues. I like them too, <laughs> as long as they're meaningful. Stephanie, I was going to ask about the prologue. She liked this one. Amy says, I can't wait to hear this. I like them, but I was told not to use them. <laughs> People who are thinking that they like this prologue in particular, why do you like it? Yeah. Answer the question, why? What about it do you think really stuck out that made you say, uh-huh, this has gotten me up from the prologue as well as chapter one? You know, I'll tell you my answer because I told Abigail it was either yesterday or the day before that I was like, I don't really care about this prologue. I don't need it. And, and normally I'm a fan of prologues. However, I went back and read it and I'm like, this is the moment Brie gets her sight because her mom died. I didn't get yep. that the first time when I was thinking about it. Um, and Amy says she doesn't remember it. So basically, like, mom has just been in a car crash and she's in the hospital. But I was like, okay, that makes me like it a little bit more. I liked it. Yeah. And I always liked it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that the prologue does, and it's not necessarily specific to a prologue, but it's a testament of Tracy Dion and her skill as a writer, is it captures you with narrative voice immediately. So I loved Bree's voice. Like when Savannah and I were even picking between a couple options, we had a few on the table and I voted for this one, which by the way, Savannah had pitched. So bravo to you for <laughs> picking something great. Not surprised. But immediately I was like, I want this one because of the voice. I liked the concept. I was interested in the concept. I want to learn more, but what's part of it? Voice is going to grab. It's either, it either grabs you or it doesn't. And we're very grounded in Bree's internal wounds and her fears yeah. and that is so deeply woven and thread into the plot and what motivates her throughout the whole story and we're seeing it here in yeah. this moment maybe it's just because i'm drawn to characters who are grieving i just that tends to be what i go for i go for stories with grief and this was identifying the loss or the lack yeah so that was huge. And then as, if you do a second read or, you know, as you learn more in the story, you do actually start to come as they identified why this is such an important scene strategically on the external landscape as well as the internal one, because it's holding Brie back, right? It's creating her flawed view that's going to hold her back. It's going to set up her internal arc. Right. But at the same time, it has a lot of important identifications as to 
what she has to achieve on the external landscape. Right. And everybody's kind of identifying similar things in the chat. It draws us into her voice and her grief, sets up the relationship with Alice and Bree. So yeah, all that stuff, you guys are spot on. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Lint Match. I had so much fun analyzing the first chapter of Legendborn and the entire story at our last Book Notes meeting. I hope the perspectives shared in this episode have sparked your curiosity and creativity for how you can write your own hook-worthy events, characters, and fiction elements in your opening pages. If you'd like to learn more about Book Notes or would like to access the full audio, visit savannagilbo.com forward slash book slash club. I'll put this link in the show notes for easy access as well. And if you'd like to learn more about Savannah Gilbo and all she has to offer, definitely check out her website as well as her amazing podcast, Fiction Writing Made Easy, which teaches actionable practical writing tips to writers on a weekly basis. Finally, I am so excited to announce that Savannah and I have picked our next book club pick for the month of July. And it is one that I have wanted to study since we started the club in November. We will be taking a close look at Bonnie Garmus's upmarket historical fiction debut, Lessons in Chemistry. I adore this book. If you've seen advertisements, you'll see that Brie Larson is going to be featured in the film adaptation of it coming out in October on Apple TV. Yay. And it's also in my top reads of all time. I'm especially eager to reread this phenomenon with an analytical eye and really put into words why I think Elizabeth saw it in the story and execution of Lessons in Chemistry is a book that every reader, regardless of genre, should study. I'll be back next week with another episode of Lit Match. This time, I'll be bringing you a really valuable conversation. I am super eager to share this one with you. It's with a literary agent that I actually shouted out loud when I got their reply that they'd be interested in coming on the show. And I know that you can benefit from it. So I hope you'll join me next week. Until that time, thank you as always for your support of Lit Match. If you'd like to continue to support the show, you can do so by taking a quick one to two minutes to rate and review the show and share it with your writing friends. As always, please don't hesitate to reach out to me if there's something or someone you'd love to learn from on the show. I'm happy to pursue this. And I do take every email that I receive seriously. I love connecting with listeners and thank you for taking the time to reach out to me and let me know more of what you'd like so that I can support you along your writing and publishing process. In the meantime, happy writing. If you're in the query trenches, continue to persevere. I am cheering you on always and cannot wait to hear when you sign with your dream agent and celebrate your book when it comes out.